This is PJ Griffin. I'm a writer for HorrorMetalSounds.com, and you are listening to Blood Noir Audio Drama on Para X Radio in Anchor. What if a man can invade other people's dreams to rob a bank? What if technology is originally developed with the greater good in mind? ultimately becomes corrupted by human greed. What if you are stuck in an asylum and know you will never get out? Through the dark recesses of the dream world come strange stories of horror, terror, and wonder. And a mysterious question how can so many people have the same dreams? Dark Dreams is an anthology of stories from the minds of Mark Slade, Thomas M. Malafarina, E.S. Wynn, D.S. Scott, John C. Adams, Emery and Rich, Jason Norton, P.J. Griffin, Mr. Deadman, David Ludford, Joseph J. Patchen, Mark Tompkins, Sean Clay, and Kevin Race. Cover and art by Cameron Hampton and edited by Gavin Chapel and Mark Slade. Published by Rogue Planet Press and is available now on Lulu.com and other outlets where books are sold. crime and horror anthology show. Stories about people caught in desperate times and only have one way out. I'm sure you're wondering why you received this tape from a random stranger. But is it really random? Am I really a stranger? Or are we connected in some way to a web of lies and deceit, possibly murder? You see, I hear things, see things. I know everything. To protect myself, I need these stories to be told.
It was. I love you, Ron. I love you too, babe. Oh, no. Don't answer it. Please? I have to. It's work. At 11 o'clock at night? Why can't it wait? I'm sorry. This new story can't, apparently. Hmm. Well, hurry up, okay? Okay. Thought I told you not to call me tonight. I'm sorry, I just... Can't just call me anytime. You know that. I just miss you is all. You know I miss you too. But we agreed not tonight. Remember? You're with her again, aren't you? Well, yeah. I'm at our apartment. Why are you breathing so hard? <clears throat> I was working out. You were working out this late at night? I couldn't sleep. I don't believe you. Alice, come on. I wouldn't lie to you. I love you. I love you, too. And that's my girl. Look. I'm sorry, but I have to go. She thinks I'm talking to someone at work. Fine. I'll talk to you tomorrow, okay? I'm leaving pretty early to catch my plane, though. I don't care if it's early. Just promise me you'll call. I will. Now I have to go. Promise? I promise. I gotta go. Bye. Okay, I love... Come back to bed already. Coming. What are you looking at me like that for? You promise what? Huh? I heard you say, I promise. Who and what were you promising? Oh, that, that was Rachel from work. I was promising to get the whole story on this Peter Wallace guy. Rachel from work called you this late to tell you to get the whole story? Yeah. Yep. I see. I think I need to have a talk with this Rachel. Forget her. She's just clueless. I'm going to make you forget her. Mm. What? Mm. Mm. Rachel who? <laughs> That's what I thought. You know what I think? I think it's time to go back to bed. <laughs> Shit. Hey, babe. You said you were going to call me. I was, but you beat me to it. I just got to the airport. And why did you hang up on me last night? 
I told you I had to go. I was saying I love you and you just hung up. My wife was there. I couldn't risk her hearing me. You do love me, don't you? Of course I love you. More than anything. Then why haven't you left her yet? I'm working on it, I promise. Getting a divorce is complicated. Am I not worth the complications? Alice, please don't be like this. You're worth everything to me. I'll get the divorce. I promise. I promise. I promise. You always make promises, but you never keep them. Alice, I promise. Fine. Okay, I just want to be with you. I can't stand the thought of being without you. I need you. I need you too. So do you know when he'll be back? No, I'm not sure. I have to follow this lead on some recluse writer guy. I'm supposed to follow him and see what he's up to. Who cares? Maybe he's just on vacation. My boss cares, I guess. And that's what I'm going to find out. So what's his story? I mean, what's so important about him? His name's Peter Wallace. He's some Pulitzer Prize winning author. Probably the usual stuck-up asshole. He wrote some great novel and now everyone wants to know about him, but he refuses to do interviews or book signings. Apparently, he keeps disappearing down south at the same time every year, and I've gotten information about where he goes. Now, I just need to find out why. Shouldn't the poor guy get some privacy? Famous people don't get privacy. It's in the fine print. <laughs> How far south are we talking about here? Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. Huh? <laughs> it's from a movie filled down south. But this is about as down south as it gets into the west of there. The great state of Louisiana. Oh, will you go to the French Quarter? I hear it's wonderful. I doubt it, babe. Apparently this guy likes to hang out in the swamps. Yuck! Seriously, I don't know who in their right mind would want to live out there. All the bugs and snakes and... Ugh, alligators. New York is so much... safer. Please be careful. Don't worry, I will. In fact, I promise I will. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm at the terminal now. I only have a few minutes before my flight, so I need to call my boss and make sure there aren't any last-minute changes. Okay. Can you call me again when you get there? I sure will, hon. Be safe, Ron. I love you so much. Will do. You be good, okay? I love you, too. Bye, baby. Talk to you in a few hours. Ugh. Glad that's over. Time for round two. Hello? Hey, hon. I just wanted to call and let you know I'm at the airport. Okay. When's your flight leave? In a few minutes. Probably. I think they just started calling our seats. Well... Be safe and have a good flight. I will. Gotta go. Love you. I love you too. Call me when you get there, okay? Will do. Promise? 
<laughs> ah, promise. Okay. Bye. Bye. Can I get you another drink, sir? Yeah, sure. Here you go, sir. Enjoy. Thanks, hon. I will. <gasps> sir, do not touch me or I'll be forced to kick you off the plane. At 30,000 feet. Do I at least get a parachute? I will <laughs> call security. Don't do it again. <laughs> Jeez, hon. <laughs> I want to dream of it, toots. Welcome, Louisiana. Y'all have a nice flight, sir? Uh, God, no. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You don't mind me asking, why not? I've never liked flying. Cramped seats, whiny kids, crappy booze, and the stewardess even threatened to call security on me. My <laughs> goodness! <laughs> I guess the first three are normal. Fortunately, I can't imagine why she'd call security on you. Me either. You didn't slap her butt or something, did you? She should have taken it as a compliment. Oh, um, well, your, your car is ready. You're all set to go. Thanks. I'll try to keep it in one piece. <laughs> Thank you. I sure appreciate that. Turn left. Turn left. Left? There isn't anywhere turn to turn left. left. Help! Please wait while I recalculate your route. Piece of shit. Recalculating. Son of a... Folk can't drive for shit out here. <laughs> Apparently not. I uh, figure we should help him. Yeah, I suppose so. Hey, man, you you okay? Maybe he's dead. Well, we can only hope. Oh. What? What happened? You you wrecked your car, friend. What? Oh, come on. Let's get him out of there. Ah, oh, my head. This head is bleeding pretty bad, Pete. Uh, where are we going to take him? 
Oh, shit. His car's blocking the damn road so we can't even take him to the hospital until it's cleared. I, I guess we'll take him to the farm for the night. Well, uh... All right, then. Uh, uh, just remember... I know. I know. No one can find out. I remember, okay? He won't find out. Okay, uh, I'm just saying. Hey, st stay awake, guy. He might have a concussion. Oh, damn, I, I think he passed out. Help me get him back to the house. That must hurt. Ah. Who are you? Where am I? I'm Amy Wallace, and you're at my home. My head hurts. You wrecked your car and hit your head. You should be okay, though. My husband Peter patched you up. What time is it? It's around 10 a.m. Wait. What did you say your last name was? And my last name is Wallace. Why? And your husband's name is Peter? Yes. Oh. Well, I should probably thank him. And you. Thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. I think Peter's downstairs if you need him. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, oh, Oh, oh no. What's wrong? Where's my cell phone? Do you have my phone? No, I don't. Shit! I was supposed to call my wife when I got here. I guess it's still with your car. Oh, what's your wife's name? Gloria. I really need to call her. Do you have a phone I can use? Hmm, sure. You can use the cordless phone. Thank you. I'll just give you some privacy. Glory, I... Ron? Yeah, it's me. You bastard! What? Look, I I'm sorry I didn't call you. I got in an accident on the way down here. Yeah, right. You're just telling another lie. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Rachel. What about Rachel? There is no Rachel, you son of a bitch. What in the world are you talking about? I work with Rachel. She's... Don't lie to me. I called your office, and there isn't any Rachel working there. Well, whoever you talk to is mistaken. We have a lot of interns who don't know anyone. I asked your boss. Babe. Oh, yeah. I met your babe. Wait, what? 
That's right. That little bitch Alice came to see me last night. She says you're in love. <laughs> uh-huh. Gloria, I love you. Go get in another car accident. I hope you rot in hell. Gloria, please, listen to me. I promise. That shit fucking damn it! Are you okay? What's wrong with your phone? It won't work. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Sometimes our phone just drops calls out of nowhere. I'm sure it will start working again in a while. I don't have a while. I have to talk to my wife. It sounds like she doesn't want to talk to you. You were listening? I'm sorry. Oh, God. Can I make it up to you? What are you doing? Let me take your mind off, Gloria. Where'd she go? Yes? Good. You're awake. Uh, uh, yeah. Are you Peter Wallace? Who said my name was Peter Wallace? I guess I heard you say it last night. No, you didn't. I... Yes, I'm Peter, and you're Ron Arnold. What were you doing driving down my road last night? How do you know my name? I guess I heard you say it last night. Oh. Now, what were you doing driving down my road last night? I don't remember. I must have gotten lost. How does one get lost in New York and end up in Louisiana, guy? Might want to fix that GPS of yours. How do you know I'm from New York? I know who you are. Ron Arnold, big-time reporter. How? You came here for a story, right? Come on, then. Come on. Where are we going? You want to find out why I come here every year? Fine. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I own this place. And what is this place? <laughs> You're not a very good reporter, are you? This is my farm. Come on outside. I'll, I'll show you around. A farm? That's what I said. <laughs> he, he, he lives. Wade here helped me carry your sorry ass back here last night. Uh, thank you, Wade. <laughs> Have a nice walk. Wade's a good guy. He helped me get my wife back. He's a doctor of sorts. I didn't know you had a wife. What's funny? Absolutely nothing. Okay. 
She's beautiful, isn't she? Who? Don't play dumb, Ron. I know you slept with her. What? Watch your step. What the hell is that? It's like an alligator to me. Jesus! Did I mention this is a gator farm? No! Amy always did sleep around. I swear, I didn't... That's why I killed her. Excuse me? God, I loved her. Still do. That's why I had Wade bring her back. What the hell are you talking about? Wade and I performed the ceremony every year on the anniversary of her death. We did it this morning. I only get 24 hours, but... I... I just miss her so much. I thought she'd miss me too. You think I learned after six years, but... Look, I'm gonna go now. Where are you going, Ron? I thought you wanted the story. Oh my god! Are those bones? Yep. That's my Amy. Good lord, you're fucking insane. The good lord gave me a way to get my Amy back. But but you took her away again. I didn't sleep with her. Dead wife. Oh shit, no. Help me. You're a terrible liar. Help me. Help me. Peter, no. I promise I didn't. No. I promise I didn't. No! No! God! Oh, God, help me! Peter, help! Blood Noir, Episode 9, Promises, featuring Pete Lutz as The Stranger, Ryan Vollmer as Ron, Kiki Sanford as Glory, Gabrielle Andrews as Alice, Victor Aurelius as Peter Wallace, Rhonda Mitchell as Amy, Stewardess, GPS, Jack Ward as rental car guy and pilot. Jeff Niles as Wade. Credit narration by Sharon O. Bloomberg. Written by D.S. Scott. Music by Carpenter's Notch and Jude Can Hunt. Theme by Carpenter's Notch and Audionautics.com. Directed by Mark Slade.
stranger. Buy me a drink. Why, sure, darling. Pull up a chair. Don't mind if I do. Barkey, give us a couple whiskeys. You know how to drink your way to a girl's heart. <laughs> and her underthings. <laughs> we'll see. You got a name? They call me Sam Hill, darling. <laughs> Most people spit and say my name. <laughs> what do they call a pretty thing like me? Charlotte. Unless you have a name you like better. <laughs> well, I don't think so, darling. Charlotte fits you perfect. <laughs> say... You wouldn't have happened to see two buddies of mine ride through town, have you? Hmm? <laughs> I've seen a lot of fellas come through in the past year. <laughs> what? They take a couple dollars from you in a card game? Did worse than that. One short takes charge, sometimes casts spells, knows a lot about the occult. Calls himself Fowler. The other is Granger. Taller. Dark-haired. Wears a bowler. Has pointed teeth. Might be a vampire. Maybe has wings like a bat. They talk a lot about hunting werewolves. Killing demons. Fighting off a plague of flesh-eating flies. And running from a town of vampire children. No, Mr. Hey, those two sound a little bit weak. <laughs> Just fun <funning> you, darling. <laughs> this hombre bothering you, sweet Charlotte. Well... Hey, I like your sombrero, partner. It makes your head look a lot fatter. I'm gonna cut your heart out and feed it to the horses. Look at his eyes! They're bright red! Why don't we feed the yours instead? <laughs> Why don't we feed the yours instead? <laughs> <laughs> The Sundowners is a book of wild western audio scripts written by Mark Slade with the cover by Cameron Hampton. Published by Rogue Planet Press and can be found on lulu.com and other outlets books are sold. You haven't left for that case yet? Nope. You'll even Morty to wait for you. In the meanest part of town? He'll be alright. Morty can handle himself. Joe! You're reading! Looks that way. I don't think I've ever seen you crack a book open. Let alone one. Yeah, well, this one concerns us. Blackout City Confidential by Mark Slade. How does he know what goes on around here? Six audio scripts and a new short story featuring us and that crumb bum, Doberman Diggs. Look here, Lily. There's even pictures. 
Art by Lisanne Lake. Oh, if you captured my figure right. <laughs> Not hard to do, Angel. Nobody could get that wrong. You're perfect. Oh, Joe. <laughs> get Blackout City Confidential and Blackout City Short Story Collection. Both available on Lulu.com and other outlets published by Horrified Press. Crown of Thorns by Mark Slade Blake came to Kerr's seance, hoping to get in touch with his dead son. Miles had committed suicide almost a year ago. Just as Gregory Blake decided to quit his nationally televised show, where he gave his sermons every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., a prime spot for syndication, right before football, Reverend Archbishop Gregory Blake, his full title, had his show, loyal worshipers that hung on to every word he spoke, nice cars and a nice home in Canyon. But he also had a lot of troubles. Twice a divorcee, women and drink would always complicate Blake's life. Almost tried twice for being heretic, he had less than half of the church officials he could call his friends or colleagues. It was Blake's outspoken rants on homosexuals in the church and getting the right literature for married couples and non-married couples concerning planned families or the fact he didn't believe Mother Mary was a virgin when she had Christ. That was kind of the way of thinking, as a carrier of Christ's words and teachings, really ticked them off. None of that weighed on his mind as much as being able to talk to Miles one last time, tell him he was sorry. Blake often wondered if he should have stayed a lawyer and never entered the church. Has been something of a year filled with turmoil for you, my dear Gregory, Kerr said to Blake, as they took a seat at the table Kerr would use for the seance. I'm sorry to say, Blake slurred, my whole life has been filled with turmoil, Anthony. I sometimes think that I relish those moments more than the happy ones. I know, I remember them better after a glass of something. Blake giggled. Kerr poured another shot of rye and handed it to Blake. I don't know, Gregory. I sometimes feel we bring strife upon ourselves. Yes, Anthony, we probably do. Blake drank the rye down quickly. We all have our crown of thorns to wear. You mean our own cross to bear, don't you? Kerr poured himself a shot and swallowed it hard, covering his mouth as he coughed. No, I do not. I wish not to be quoted with such cliched poppycock. I want to be remembered for my own words, not something uttered by thousands of misinformed spiritual terrorists. Blake's face became red and the heavier he breathed, the more his glasses fogged up. Careful, Gregory, Kerr said. God is listening. Joan came in the room, her heels clicking on the wooden floors. She stood in front of Blake, actually towering over him, with that dissatisfied look on her face, both hands on her hips, 
a normally green eyes was now burning red with anger. You always seem to find a bottle somewhere, she told Blake. And you, she pointed at Kerr. How in the world are the dead going to understand you if you are slurring your words? Better yet, Kerr giggled. How am I not going to understand the dead slurring without a drink? Your followers are ready for the seance, if you want to know, Anthony, Joan said. Wonderful, Kerr said exuberantly and clasped his hands. Then let's begin. What do you say, Rev. Archbishop Blake? I'm fully able and ready to begin, Mr. Kerr. Show the audience in, Joan. The door opened and twenty or more people entered, began to take their seats on metal fold-up chairs, placed around the table in a circle. As advised by Kerr, everyone wore black and brought with them no silver or gold jewelry. Often, Kerr had stated, silver and gold would turn any spirit away, malicious or not. Joan sat beside Blake immediately taking his hand in hers. She felt perspiration dripping from his palm. No need to be nervous, Gregory, she whispered to him. I'm here. Remember that. Blake patted her hand with his free hand and gave her sheepish smile. Please dim the lights, Kerr said. He nodded to Blake who sighed deeply before reluctantly accepting Kerr's hand. Let us begin. Kerr closed his eyes. The lights went down, and candles that surrounded a picture of Miles were lit. Everyone bowed their heads. Kerr whispered the Lord's Prayer. There was a few minutes of silence, and then a candle fell over. The photo of Miles caught fire burned a strange blackish hue. The audience cried out, and Kerr quieted them down. A stagehand trotted over and put the fire out, before it touched the tablecloth. It's all right, folks, it's all right. We have everything under control. He stood, raising his hands to urge everyone to sit back down. The stagehand tried to take the picture away, and Kerr stopped him. No, no, Eric. I need that. Just leave it. Yes. Thank you. Kerr caught his breath, gave everyone a reassuring smile. Shall we begin again? Hello, Gregory? Blake could hear Kerr on the line, but there was a lot of static coming from his end. Anthony, I can barely hear you. Blake yelled into the telephone. I don't know what's wrong. We're only three blocks away. Why is there so much static? Maybe they are working on the lines. I don't know, Kerr said. As soon as I take my shower, I'll be right over. Joan is out shopping, so she won't be able to come. I wanted to talk to you about the seance from the other day. Kerr tried to cut in. Sometimes when Blake got going... He spoke too fast for anyone to get a word in. Oh, yes, I think it went well. Thank you so much for getting in touch with Miles. No, Gregory, it did not go well. Why must you always say that? 
It was sublime. Please be quiet, Gregory. I'm sorry. I didn't mean... Why would you take such a tone with me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just listen, please. All right, what? Blake was snippy. He didn't like it when people told him to stop talking. He had a point to be made, always. The seance. I'm not so sure I did get in touch with Miles, Kerr said. Of course you did. We all heard him coming through you. Kerr bowed his head. When he looked up, his eyes were wild. The pupils dilated. His mouth was slackened and a low, terrible moan thrust itself upon everyone in the room. Some gasped. Some nearly bolted out of their seats. Blake was so startled, he gripped Joan's hand harder. She patted his hand to let him know to loosen his grip. Why not me? Kerr moaned. Why? Why, why, why not me? Miles! Blake whispered. Tears flooded his eyes. He fought hard to keep them back, but they dribbled down his cheek. Miles, is that you? Shh, Gregory, Joan said. Anthony said not to interrupt. You could break the connection to the dead side. I needed you, Kerr suddenly stood. He carried on. His voice broke from a falsetto to a deeper, low-pitched tone. I needed you. Kerr fell back in his chair, exhausted. He lowered his head, eyes closed for a few seconds. Everyone was on pins and needles, breathless and frightened for what was to come next. Kerr raised his head, sighed deeply, and laughed. Wow, he said. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief and laughed with him. That was an intense set of moments. Blake said into the telephone, I really must take my shower if I am to come over for the second seance. Kerr hemmed and hawed before he got to the point. Gregory, I think it's best you don't come and sit for a reading, at least until I can figure out what this aggressive energy is. No, Anthony, I must insist. Gregory, Kerr whined, I've come to like you very much. I also respect you, have always respected you. So please, just... Let's only use the telephone for a few weeks, hmm? Blake angrily slammed the phone down. Ridiculous! He screamed. Blake slammed the bathroom door, muttering to himself. He turned on both hot and cold faucets, let them run together for a minute, before turning on the shower hard. He undressed, then tested the water. It was exactly as he liked it, more cold than hot. He climbed inside the shower and pulled that god-awful green and yellow shower curtain around the tub. 
The water flowed all around him as he lathered up. The bathroom door flew open, ricocheted from the wall. Blake stopped rinsing and listened. Joan, he said, is that you? No one answered. He heard footsteps. Blake peered out of the shower curtain. He saw no one. Maybe I didn't shut the door correctly and the air conditioner blew it open, he told himself. He continued his shower, washing what little hair he had left. The shower curtain formed a tight fist and struck Blake in the midsection. He screamed out, fell to his knees. Another area of the curtain formed a fist and struck Blake in the face repeatedly. He cried out. Blood dripped from his broken lips. He saw three more fists form in tight plastic balls. Blake bowed his head, pushing his face into the bottom of the tub. He felt quick, rapid-fire punches to his left ribs, buttocks, and left leg. The shower curtain was suddenly torn from the bar. Weeping, Blake raised his head up to see his attacker. No one was there. But in the mirror, written in steam, he saw, Why not me? Gregory! Blake heard Joan call his name out. Didn't you hear me ask how much longer you were going to be in the shower? Joan stood in the bathroom's threshold, shocked to see Blake lying in the tub, face down in a pool of his own blood. She ran to Blake and helped him out of the tub. She wrapped a towel around him and led him to their bed. What happened, Gregory? Blake laid on the bed and sighed. Miles visited me, he said. Are you sure you feel up to this? Joan asked Gregory. He looked at her as if he didn't understand the question. To miss my chance to appear on another nationally televised chat show? Blake lit another cigarette while the other one sat in the ashtray, still burning. Of course I feel up to it, Joan. That's a silly question. They were sitting in the green room of the Marty Washington Show, which is more of a debate program than a talk show. The host, Marty Washington, had written to Blake, declaring him the most courageous of all the religious leaders, including the Pope. Washington had a tendency to turn his supposed admired guests just create watchable television. Washington liked to bring out the guest. Seated next to Shirley, Lesson, a respectable columnist for the New York Times. On the other side was Washington and his crony sidekick, Dick Deagle, a penny-ante third-rate comedian who once was booed for delivering one of the worst stand-up routines in the history of The Tonight Show. I just thought, well, after what happened yesterday, Joan sighed and shrugged. Oh, <laughs> Blake laughed, squeezed her hand. I'm fine, darling. That was maybe not as big a deal as I made it out to be. I worry about you. Maybe you were working too hard. Joan kissed Blake on the cheek and he laughed again. Perhaps you're right. As soon as we get to my apartment in London, I'll take a week off before polishing my next book. 
That's a marvelous idea, Gregory. We can take in some sights. Joan became very excited. Blake could see the wheels turning inside Joan's head, planning their trip. Perhaps we could go to Paris for a day or two as well? I don't see why not. Yes, yes, of course. Say, Blake lipped his lips. I feel like a Coke. Could you go into the hallway and get us a couple of them, dear? Yes, I sure will. I think I have enough change. Joan dug into her purse, moving items from one side to another. Oh, I believe I have some change in my pocket. No, no, Joan stood, and with four quick steps, she headed out the door. I have it, I sure do. Blake laughed, shook his head. Her mind is not getting two cokes. Her mind was on the trip to London and possibly planning other things to come after the trip. That was how Joan worked, planning everything in months in advance, writing them in her planner and getting upset when nothing goes according to those plans. Blake took a drag off of his cigarette, stubbed it out in the ashtray before he noticed he had another one lit. My, my, he said and reached out for it. The cigarette rose into the air, turned its lit end toward Blake. Blake gasped. There was no time to react except throw his hands in front of his face, but the cigarette managed to slip through and burn Blake on his cheek. Blake screamed out. He swatted at the cigarette as it drew back and dashed Blake's cheek twice more. Joan entered the green room, fiddling with her purse. The machine was acting strangely. I put the money in and spit it two cokes. Her eyes focused on what was transpiring. Joan dropped the cokes and let out a shriek. The cokes crashed to the floor. The tops busted open and liquid sprayed the floor, sending the aluminum can sliding toward Blake's chair. Now lifeless, the cigarette fell to the table, the filter breaking in half. Blake was still screaming, his hands still swatting the air. Joan ran to Blake. Calm down, Gregory. Calm down. Look. Look. I saw it. Yes, I saw it, dear. Shh. It's all right. Blake's body shook, mumbling to Joan. He said, L Look. He brought his finger down pointing at spilled soft drink that spelled out, Why not me? A week later, Kerr called Gregory, asking him to meet at Ferguson's Bar and Grill. Gregory arrived with Joan on his arm, much to Kerr's annoyance. I thought you were just coming, Kerr said. Why would I come to lunch without Joan? Gregory laughed. I thought you liked me. Joan cried out in mock mortification. I adore you, Joan, but... But what? she asked. The waiter showed up, placing three menus in front of them. Could you give us a few minutes? Joan told the frail older man. The waiter smiled and quipped. Sure, take all the time you need. He waddled away disappearing into the kitchen that was blaring loud jazz. You are going to finish that sentence, Anthony? Gregory tossed his menu aside in a huff, 
I'm not sure you want Joan to hear this, Kerr said after a bit of silence. What are you on about? Gregory slammed his hand on the table. Joan patted his hand. Gregory, let Anthony explain. Anthony shifted uneasily in his chair. You had a secretary named Rose Davison. Yes, Gregory sniffed the air. She was my secretary, my editor, and she handled much of my affairs when I lived in London three years ago, before the television program. Yes. What are you getting at, Anthony? At the moment, I don't like you very much. Blake's face was getting redder. His breathing became shorter. Look, Gregory, I don't like myself very much right now, nor having this conversation. I don't like what might happen. I'm sorry, Kerr said to Joan. I did some digging, and I made a few calls to a friend in London. He had heard something about a suicide victim by the name of Rose Davison. She killed herself in your apartment, Gregory. Joan gave Blake a stunned glance, and he looked away, tried to hide the guilt on his face. Kerr continued, The spirit we contacted was not your son, Miles. Somehow I think you want to believe it is his, Gregory. The spirit that I brought into your life is very bitter and feels very dejected by you. Rose Davison, Joan said, still looking at Blake. You are talking about Rose Davison. Gregory, this spirit wants you to acknowledge something. I believe it is Rose. No, Blake blurted out. No, I will not acknowledge her. She was nothing more than my damn secretary. That is all. Miles is the one trying to contact me. When were you going to tell me about her, Gregory? Joan bowed her head and began to sob. There's nothing to tell, Joan, I swear, Blake said calmly. She was nothing more than my secretary. In your apartment, Gregory, the two of you worked on your book until late at night, but you two always retired to your bed, Kerr said. Gregory, just give Rose what she wants and she will leave you alone. No. Blake jumped up from his chair. It was Miles. It was Miles trying to reach me. Suddenly there was a change that came over Joan. Her eyes were no longer blue, but a pale white. Her skin was no longer tan, had become a deathly white, and her hair had morphed into a honey blonde from a jet black and even grew longer. Her lips that had once been too small had become full, and a perfume that Blake recognized that only Rose wore. Kerr was in shock. His mouth moved, though no words were heard. Why not me? Joan moaned, reached out to touch Blake. Why don't you love me? Why? Why? Why not me? Blake gasped, recoiled from Joan's touch. Blake pushed his way past Joan. Again, she reached out for him, grabbing his minister's apparel with a hand, tearing it at the bottom. He ran toward the door. 
No! Blake screamed. The ceiling moved as if it were in an earthquake, and a chandelier was disconnected, falling fast. It fell on Blake, knocking him to the floor. Part of the chandelier rested on his head. The crystal points jabbed into Blake's scalp. Blood slowly poured from the wounds onto the tiled floor and spelling out, love me. Joan had returned to normal. Screaming, she buried her face into Kerr's chest. All this time, I thought I was the one that brought Rose to Gregory, Kerr said, hugging Joan close to him. The whole time, it was you, 